Welcome to the Crossover Church Podcast. Although we are in Tampa, Florida, our platform is global and our impact is international. Our mission as a church is to empower people to discover, develop, and display Jesus Christ in every area of their lives. Join us here each week for inspiring messages, thought-provoking conversations, and so much more. Help us spread the word. Share this podcast on your social media platforms. Now let's tune in to today's message. So this Samaritan woman that was at the well, she had five husbands. And the dude that she was living with now wasn't even her husband. So how did that happen? Well, there's a lot of different theological thoughts and scholars have argued about it and whatnot. And so some people say, well, maybe she wasn't able to have kids and having kids was a big deal back in those days. So maybe she got married and then they found out she couldn't have kids and they divorced her. Or, or maybe, maybe she was just crazy. And whenever somebody married her, then they found out she was crazy and they're like, yo, this chick is crazy. I'm out. Or, or, or they say, well, well maybe, maybe all five of her husbands died one by one. I mean, imagine the pain of that. There's some scholars that say, well, maybe she was just a, maybe she was just a prostitute. So we don't know for sure exactly what was going on with this woman, but I can tell you this. I can tell you this. She, she had gone through a lot of pain. She had gone through a lot of loss. This woman was, was thirsty. Five marriages ended and the dude that she's with now, they're not, they're not married. She was, she was thirsty, going through all kinds of stuff. On top of that, she was a Middle Eastern woman, and unfortunately in their culture at that time, women didn't really have much of a, they didn't have much of a voice. If you went through some things, you really weren't able to talk about it. You had no platform. You didn't really matter as much, unfortunately, they were treated like second-class citizens. And in a lot of parts of the world today, women are still treated like that. Even here in America, when a woman or even a man becomes a victim, a lot of times they feel like they have no voice. And they just kind of become quiet, become this victim. So most of us have probably heard of this movement that's happened over the last couple of months called the hashtag Me Too movement. Anybody heard about that? About people that have gone through sexual abuse and pain and all kinds of things, and they've come out and they begin to share their story. It takes bravery, it takes, you know, it takes courage. And so there was some different activists and there was some celebrities and some actresses and some actors that came out and began to share their story uh, and use that hashtag and suddenly it went viral. So all over social media now, there's millions of people that have shared their Me Too story. Like, oh, you went through abuse, you got raped, or this happened to you, or, oh, Me Too, I've been through this too. This has happened to me as well. And so all this stuff has come out, all this pain, all these things, all this, man, it's been, it's been a lot. The, the World Health Organization estimates worldwide that about one-third of women suffer sexual abuse at some point in their life. 33% of women on this planet go through that. Washington Post 
said 54% of American women have been sexually harassed or there's been inappropriate sexual advances at their job, but the majority of them never say anything because they're embarrassed, they're ashamed, they're wondering what people are going to think, they're afraid they're going to lose their job, and on top of that, they think nothing's going to happen anyway, so what's really, what's really the use? Time Magazine, actually, they do this person of the year thing every year, right? You've seen that before? Well, this year they named the person of the year is the silence breakers. They're the people that started this Me Too movement and helped these people have courage and have a voice. Um, NBC News, they, they said that the Me Too movement has been the biggest social change that we've seen in decades because it's given millions of people literally this courage to step up and share, share their story, to share their pain and have courage to come out and say, yeah, say, say, me too, I've been through that as well. And we've seen countless people exposed, right? Famous people, actors, actresses, screenwriters, Hollywood people, celebrities, politicians, people that had money, that had power, position, and prestige, and they were using some of those things to manipulate other people, but now they've been exposed. And that's good, right? That's good, right? There's been some good stuff that's happened from it, but at the same time, at the same time, there's also been um, this other side of it because people are thirsty, right? And so you've had some people that have jumped on the bandwagon and it's created almost this environment now that you are now guilty until proven innocent. So if somebody says you did something or you did something, now like people are so quick, especially on social media, to jump on the bandwagon like, oh yeah, I don't know about Matt anyways. Yeah, Abigail, yeah, she's, you know. And, and, and so you've seen it happen time and time again where somebody gets accused of something and then all these people jump in and say all this stuff that's nasty and negative and it was fake news. It wasn't even true. And then that person gets proved innocent and then you know what happens? Everybody's quiet. Nobody says nothing then. And then that innocent person still has to deal with all that damage and all that stuff that took place. So I want to stress to you guys in these times, like be careful, be wise, be discerning. Somebody says something about someone at, at your job or a friend or a family member, somebody posts something on Facebook, like be careful to just jump on the bandwagon. Use discernment. Be careful because there's a lot of people that are thirsty. And so there's been some people that have exaggerated and collaborated and even made up stories and some people just want 15 seconds of fame and some people want to get a settlement. They want to get some money. And, you know, there's been all kinds of crazy stuff that's happened with this movement, good and bad. But here's one thing that I've noticed that, that is really, to me, is really interesting because at the heart of it, if you think about it for a second, at the heart of this movement, one of the key things is morality. Morality. Like, Moral justice, fighting for what's morally right. It's funny because our culture for so long has been pushing in the whole other direction, right? Think about it. The media and the entertainment and the arts and the things that we produce and the message we push out and the agenda has totally been going in the other direction, giving us messages that are totally sexually charged. 
that are like, oh man, just sleep around with whoever you want. The more partners you have, the better. Just have fun. Just have freedom. Oh, pornography is fine. It's, it's normal. It's, it's good for you. You want to have an open marriage? That's awesome. You want to just sleep around with whoever? Like, that's great. Just have freedom. Do whatever you want. Just have fun. But now they're seeing that that message is backfired. That agenda has backfired. That lifestyle has backfired. Y'all feel me? Y'all with me? Y'all with me today? I know this is a deep, this is kind of a tough subject to talk about today, but we're going to talk about it. Our culture's seeing like, man, this is, this is not, wait a minute, this is not working. This is not, because you know what? People are thirsty and you've been sending them to the wrong well and they're sick and they're making other people sick. So what did you expect was going to happen? So I want to invite you guys to pull out your phones today. Pull out your smartphones. If you haven't downloaded the Crossover app, you want to go ahead and download it really quick. It's about 900 people have downloaded it, so come on, join, join the club. This is it's a good bandwagon to jump on. <laughs> um, download the app, and, and I want to invite you to take some notes. There's a little link on there that says notes. Click on the notes, and you can type in some of the fill-ins. We don't have physical notes today for all you that like to write, unless you have your own notebook. That's cool, but we didn't print out physical notes. Um, the photocopy machine, something happened to it, so hey. It's meant for you to download the app today. Go ahead. So we're going to dig a little deeper in the story about the woman at the well and this living water. Because sometimes we can feel, we can feel shameful and dirty when something has happened to us or we've done something that we shouldn't have or we've said something or we've been a place we shouldn't have and we feel shameful. Y'all ever felt like that? Y'all, y'all ever felt like, man, I didn't even know if I could come to church? Right? Come on, come on. We got a couple honest people here. I know there's a whole bunch of people worshiping online right now, and some of them, maybe that's you today. Something happened this week, and you did something, you just feel like, man, I can't even, I can't even go to church today, but I'll, I'll stream in and watch. Like, listen, don't let the enemy get in your ear and tell you you can't come in God's presence, you can't come in his house, you can't come around his people when you mess up. Because newsflash, we all mess up. We all have some issues, we have some things. This is the very place you need to be. If you want to get better, if you're a little sick today, like me, just don't get too close. But this is where you need to be. You need to be in God's house if you've got some things going on. Don't let the enemy get in your head. God loves you right where you're at. He's not going to leave you there, but he loves you right where you're at. We can see this from this story as we take a closer look at the Samaritan woman. Because from a Jewish perspective, she had three strikes against her. Jesus should not have been talking to her. But he was. So these were the three strikes that were against her. So, so type this in your, your, your app. So first off, she was a woman. She was a woman. What's, what's the problem with that? Well, she was a woman. So like I said, women many times, unfortunately, were treated like second-class citizens. And she was a woman. So in public, the custom was you weren't really supposed to talk to a woman in public, especially if you didn't know them. Even if you were married, it, it just wasn't, you, you didn't even, it was rare that you talked to your wife in public. That was just how it was. Second thing was, she was a Samaritan. Remember? She was a Samaritan. Remember I shared that story a few moments ago where if somebody was in Judea and they were going up to Galilee, they would like go 25 miles out of their way. And you're like, man, that's gas money. They didn't have no car back then. This was on foot. Or this was on like a donkey or something. I mean, that, that was like very, very inconvenient. But, but they just didn't want to go through Samaria. They didn't want to drink from the Samaritans' wells. They didn't want to eat at their restaurants. 
They didn't want to be around them. They didn't want to talk to them or touch them because they were considered unclean. See, there was this beef between the Samaritans and the Jews. You know what the beef basically was? It was a racial thing. It was. Because the Jews thought they were better than the Samaritans. The Samaritans were only half Jewish, so they were considered half-breeds. See, they had mixed with some other ethnic groups in that area, and they even took on some of the different customs and religious customs, and so there was even some different ways that they worshiped God. And so the Jewish people were like, oh, man, they, they ain't true Jews. They ain't 100%. You know, they, they're doing this and that and the other, and stay away from them. They're unclean. They ain't real. And so then the Samaritans, imagine how you would feel like, oh, you think you're better than us? Oh, forget y'all, you know. And so there was this constant beef between them, this bitter discrimination and hatred that was between the Jews and the Samaritans. So, so here's this woman at this well, and she's a woman, and she's Samaritan. But Jesus still talks to her. But here's the third strike on top of that. Here's, here's number three. She was immoral. She was immoral. She had five husbands, and we don't know exactly what happened with that. But now she is living with some man that is not her husband. She's shacking up. Yeah. But Jesus doesn't judge her, doesn't jump down her throat, doesn't try to preach at her with all this stuff. No, she had some issues. She had some hurt. She had some pain, possibly even some hashtag Me Too abuse. We don't know. And she was here at the well at noon. It said at noontime. So here's the thing culturally that you may not know. So women would generally go to the well together in a group in the morning to get water in a group. Or maybe later in the day, they would come to the well to get water. But here was this woman all by herself at noon when nobody else was around. Perhaps it was because she didn't have any friends. Perhaps it was because she was ashamed to be seen in public. So she came in the heat of the day when it's super hot thinking, well, nobody's going to be around, so let me go get some water now because everybody's always talking about me. Nobody wants to be seen with me. Let me just go quick, get some water, and I'll just slide out. Nobody will see me. And so she rose up to the well thinking no one's going to be there. And there's Jesus. There's Jesus. Like I said, it was this divine appointment. And and so, so why, why did Jesus, why would he talk to this woman? She was a despised Samaritan. She was sleeping with some guy that wasn't her husband. Because here's the thing, y'all. Jesus didn't come for the healthy people. Jesus came for the people that were sick. Jesus didn't come for the people that have it all together, for the people that, you know, this, that, man. He came for the people that have issues, the people that have hurt, the people that have pain, the people that have addictions, the people that have been abused, the people that have a me too story. He came for them. Isn't that good news, y'all? Make some noise. That's who Jesus came for. Because that was probably all of us at some point. Still some of us right now. And that's good news. Especially when you think of some statistics like every 98 seconds, somebody in our country, in America, is sexually abused. That means that since we've been in this worship gathering, um, the last 45 minutes, 40, 45 minutes, it's been a whole bunch of people that have been sexually assaulted. Right here, while we were worshiping. Over the last 20 years, there's been over 17 million people that have been raped. And guess what, y'all? It's not just women. It's men, too. Men are victims, too. They say that one out of six men are victims of sexual abuse as well. So it's not just women. It's, this affects a lot of people. And here's the crazy thing. The perpetrators that do this to people 
if you look at their history, almost nine times out of ten, they were abused at a young age. And something happened to them that shouldn't have. And it messed them up psychologically and mentally and emotionally and, and sexually and all that stuff. And so now they just have this perverted mindset that's, and, and they, they go and they're sick. And they make other people sick. And it multiplies in a bad way. But how many of you know Jesus can bring healing? Jesus can turn that thing around. He can turn it around. So how do we find that healing? Well, I watched this message the other day. And uh, I was with uh, Pastor Rick Warren and his wife, Kay. And his wife, Kay, was sharing her story that when she was just a little girl, she was five or six years old, she got sexually molested. And she didn't even know what was happening. She didn't even have the language for it. And she just never told anybody. And it just, she held it for years. And it affected her in all kinds of different ways. And so she got married and some of that baggage was brought into their marriage. And every time her husband, Pastor Rick, would try to bring it up and talk to her about it, like she'd be like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Nah, I'm not talking about it. Eventually it got to the point, she said she was 40 years old, and her husband said, listen, we're going to counseling. And she said she got so mad at him, she was looking at him like he's the enemy. No, I'm not going to counseling. I don't want to talk about this. This is my story. And he looked at her and he said, no, this is our story. Because I've been having to deal with this for the past 18 years that we've been married. It's our story. So even if you ain't going to counseling, I'm going to go to counseling because I need to get healed and fixed from this now too. And I hope you'll join me. <laughs> so he, he ended up taking her. She went. She said she walked out of the counseling office a couple times because she just couldn't take it. But eventually she began to open up <laughs> and she began to break and Stuff came out and healing began to happen. It was a process. So let me say this to husbands that are in the building. We got any husbands in the house? Husbands, make some noise. Husbands, if your wives have gone through some kind of abuse, then guess what? It's your responsibility as the spiritual leader of your house to help your wife get healed. Maybe you've never heard that before. Like, oh, this was before me. This wasn't... It's affecting you, isn't it? It's affecting your marriage. It's affecting your relationship. It's, it's, it's up to you as a spiritual leader to help your wife get healed and to get whole. And so maybe, well, I've tried this and that. And you, maybe you can't figure it out yourself. She doesn't want to talk to you. Maybe you need to get another couple to come and talk to you. Maybe you need to go to some Christian counseling together, and you need to call and make the appointment, not put it on her but you need to be the one to push her, even if she doesn't want to go. Maybe you need to go by yourself a couple of times, and then she'll come. But husbands, it's our job to help bring out the best in our wives. It talks about that in Ephesians 5. Paul says we're supposed to bring out the best in our wives like Christ brings out the best in the church. And the church is us, right? Not the, not the old Toys R Us building. The church is us, the people. And we got issues. We got issues. Our wives have issues. Your husband has issues. Women have issues. Men have issues. We're supposed to be there for one another. In the marriage relationship especially, let me say that to husbands, man. Step up. Wives, you may be going through the same thing with your husband. Maybe your husband has gone through some abuse and there's some stuff that's there. Maybe you need to push, push him and take him to counseling. But, but we got to be there for one another. 
We got to help each other. If, if you're not married and it's your friends that are around you, friends, if you know someone that is close to you, that trusts you, you might need to really help them get whole and get healed. Find ways that you can do that. We're supposed to do that as a community, as a body of Christ. We're supposed to help each other because when one part hurts, guess what? All the other parts hurt, right? You ever stubbed your toe? Man, it just hurts like all over, but it's just your toe. You weren't even thinking about your toe before. So Pastor Rick and, and his wife, they went to counseling, and God began to do this, this healing miracle to now, you know, this is over 20 years later, she was able to, to talk about this and be on a platform in front of thousands of people and share her, her story. And she shared these six steps to find healing from abuse. I want to share them with you today. They were really good. The first one is this, establish safety. Find somebody to talk to that you can trust. Even in this story in, in, in John 4, this woman began to open up to Jesus because she felt, she felt safe. Felt this is someone that she could trust and she could, she could open up to. So find someone like that that you can trust. The second one is choose to face the truth and feel. It's so tempting to live in denial and act like nothing happened, right? Like face the truth. If you really want to heal, if you want to rebuild, the book that I wrote a couple years ago, Rebuild, the first chapter is called Confronting Pain. If any of y'all got my Rebuild album, when you come here and you're a first-time guest, you get my Rebuild album in there. The first song on the album is called Confronting Pain. If you want to rebuild, you want to get better, you want to renew yourself, you want to get restored, you got to confront some pain. And it's uncomfortable, and it's a little hard, and it's challenging, but that's the thing that's going to help you feel again and help you heal and get whole. Here's the third one. Tell your story. When you tell your story, guess what it does, guys? It takes it out of the dark, and it now brings it into the light. And see, when, it, when it's in the dark, when it's hiding, it's got a lot more power. But when you bring it out and you bring it into the light, it loses some of that negative power. And as you share that with some people that you trust, they can, they can encourage you, they can give you advice, they can hold you accountable, they, they can pray for you. So find some people that you can tell your story to. Your story matters. Number four is this. Identify the distortions and reclaim God's original design. Identify those distortions. What are those distortions? Those are those lies that the enemies put in your head. You know, those lies about life, those lies about God. You know, when you go through something, you can be like, man, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. Right? You ever been there? That's a distortion of the enemy when you start going through some pain and some confusion and maybe some abuse. Those lies about men, all men are like that. Or those lies about women, that's just how women are. The, those lies about intimacy, yeah. You get these distorted views when you've gone through some abuse and some pain. And so God can, can put these, take off those lenses that are cracked and broken and smudged and dirty, and he can give you these brand new lenses so you can see clearly and you can reclaim God's original design. Number five, the fifth step is, Repent of deadness and denial. Repent of deadness and denial. So, so we're humans, and we're made in the likeness and the image of our, of our creator, Imago Dei. And so we're made with feelings because God feels. The Bible talks about that several times. God gets sad, and God gets happy, and God, get, God, God gets angry at different times in the Scripture. You can read that. So we have feelings. We're meant to feel things. But when you go through some deep hurt and some deep abuse, sometimes you just don't want to feel anything anymore because it just hurts too much. And so you just try to turn everything off. 
But that's not the way that God's called us to live. That's not full life. That's not abundant life that he has for his children. So Kay, Kay Warren shared this story about when she went over to India to visit Mother Teresa when she was still alive. And you know that that woman did all kinds of stuff for kids in the street that were abandoned. And, and she took on all these, um, these babies that were abandoned, like little babies. And she had this nursery. And she walked into this nursery, and there was a couple dozen babies in there. And if you walk into a room with a couple dozen babies, what do you expect to hear? Yeah, some crying. You go into the nursery sometimes, and sometimes it's peaceful, but sometimes you go in that nursery, and one starts crying, and the other one, and then it's a crying choir. And it's just you know, like, ah! Well, she walked into that nursery, and guess what? A couple dozen babies, and they're alive? Dead quiet. And they explained to her, and they said, well, when babies are born, they cry because they need to be held or they need to be fed, or they need to be changed, or they're uncomfortable, so they cry, and someone then takes them. But if nobody takes them and nobody pays attention to them, eventually they learn this instinct that no one's coming, so there's no use to cry. Wow. So in the same way, there's some adults that they've got so much abuse and so much pain and so much stuff inside of them, and they just don't want to feel anymore. So step number five, y'all, it's about coming back to life and feeling again. God wants you to feel things, okay? Number six, the last one, is mourn the loss and dare to hope. Mourn the loss and dare to hope. So there's things in your life maybe that were taken from you, maybe your innocence, maybe some of your childhood years, maybe some of, you know, some experiences that you didn't do and there's regrets and it's real. Mourn the loss, but at the same time, as you confront those brutal facts, you can then also turn and you can dare to hope again and say, man, God's going to restore me. God's still got some great things for me. God's going to use this story to help some other people. Look at me, guys. If you've ever been abused, if you've ever been hurt, it's not your fault. Okay? It's not your fault. Don't fall for those voices and those lies in your head that will say, well, if I just would have went there, if I just wouldn't have been by myself, if I just would have stayed at home, if I just would have, man, don't listen to those voices. It's not, it's not your fault. Don't, don't let, you, don't let you, the enemy get in and blame yourself. Don't drink that poison. Instead, learn to drink that living water of salvation and, and no condemnation. And so this Samaritan woman, she thought Jesus was, was talking about some flowing water. That's what she thought. She was like, give me some of that, Jesus. I want some of that water. Then I don't have to come to this well anymore. And, you know, that sounds great. But Jesus was like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. He was talking about salvation from bondage and salvation from condemnation. So write this down. Water can temporarily satisfy our thirst. You can drink a little water. It satisfies your thirst. You got a little cough can help a little bit with that maybe, but so much better, salvation, it's just temporary because you got to drink water again. I'm, I've been drinking water all day, right? But salvation will not temporarily but permanently satisfy your soul. There's a huge difference. So after Jesus, he read this woman's email about her five, you know, her five husbands that she had and the dude that she's with that's you know, she's not married to now. After he did that, she, you know, she, she acknowledged that, and then she changed the subject. 
Because we do that sometimes, right? If somebody's digging a little too deep or they hit a little nerve, then, then, then we change the subject. And that's what she did. She changed the subject. She said, well, well you know, well, you Jews and us Samaritans, we don't agree on the same way we worship. And well, you think we should worship in Jerusalem and we think it's on this mountain. And Jesus said, he said, listen, woman, the day is coming. And as a matter of fact, it's here right now when it doesn't matter where you worship, Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, whatever. But God is looking for worshipers that are going to worship in spirit and in truth. Yeah. So it's funny because then the woman, you know, she heard that and she responded and she, she responded to him. Okay, that sounds kind of deep. You know, I, I know the Messiah is coming, the one that's called the Christ. And when he comes, then he's going to explain everything to us. And then verse 26, classic line here. Jesus looks at her and says, uh, hello, that's me. <laughs> I'm the Messiah. You're looking at him right here. So if you've ever had somebody tell you, well, you know, Jesus never really said he was the son of God. He never really said he's the Messiah. Take him to John 4.26. It's red letter, baby, where Jesus said, I am the Messiah. There's a bunch of other places in the New Testament that you know, it's confirmed and affirmed and all that stuff as well. But so it goes on and it says, just then, after he says that, the disciples came back and, and they see him and they're shocked to see him talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman at the well. But he's Jesus. So it says they were shocked, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman, the woman left her, her jar beside the well, and she ran back to the village telling everybody, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And if you look on a little bit farther in the chapter, the whole village ends up coming out. And Jesus ends up staying in this village a couple of extra days in this despised Samaritan village. He's a Jew. His disciples, his whole squad, they're Jews, but they stay in this Samaritan village and they minister to these people and they pray with these people and people are healed and, and ministered to and all kinds of amazing stuff happens. And it says at, at the end of verse 40, 42, it says, it says, they say, now we know indeed he's the savior of the world. So now there's a whole bunch of believers in this Samaritan village. Isn't that amazing? Give it up for Jesus. He loved everybody. Here's the last thing to write down today, if you're taking notes with me. Last thing to write down. This is, this is one that the ladies are going to appreciate. Jesus always raised the value of women. Did you notice that? He always raised the value of women. If you look throughout the Gospels, Jesus, he defended women. Jesus listened to women. Jesus loved women with brotherly love. Jesus forgave women. Jesus healed women. Everywhere you went in a culture that many times treated women like second-class citizens, Jesus, Jesus valued, he raised the value of women. So think about it for a minute. After the Samaritan woman, after she leaves Jesus and she goes back to the village and she's, she's all excited, she's like, hey guys, there's this incredible guy at the well that I just met. I, I, I mean, he told me everything about my life. He don't even know me like that. I mean, I'm just saying. And, you know, I'm sure some of the people in the village are like, oh, yeah, we know you. We know you. You don't want to have five husbands. You sleeping with that dude. You know, it's a small town. You know, anybody from a small town? 
Everybody talk about everybody. Say, everybody knew the woman at the well, but here she was. Now remember, she was here at noon all by herself because she was ashamed. She was getting water because she didn't really want anyone to see her, and she was ashamed. But now here she is telling the whole town, hey, y'all need to come see this guy. I think he could be the Messiah. You see, you know what that shows? Is that someone that maybe had shame before and, and Jesus confronted her and she spent time with the Messiah, with the Savior of the world. Now she left and she feels dignified. She feels free. That healing process was already beginning. Y'all feel me? That's what Jesus does, y'all. So no matter what you've done here, no matter what you've experienced, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you did, he knows. He knows and there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's no surprise to him. He loves you just where you're at. But the good news is he doesn't want to leave you there. He's got so much more for you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Crossover Church in Tampa, Florida. On behalf of Pastor Tommy Colonnan and the entire team, we thank you for being a part of this experience. We'd love to connect with you. So check us out online at www.crossoverchurch.org or on any of our social media platforms. Our weekly services are broadcast live, and you can always catch a previous service on demand on our YouTube channel. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.